Welcome to Project VetCast, 11th episode, and thanks for tuning in. In this episode, I'll talk a little bit about the happy hormones. Uh, <laughs> you guys probably think I'm a little off my rocker after hearing that, and shoot, I feel weird for saying it. Happy hormones. These are the hormones that help us feel happy throughout our activities in life. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit how the military and veteran lifestyle, lifestyles help us get these hormones, but also how we can tweak our lifestyles to get more of these hormones. I mean... Ask yourself this, who doesn't want to be happy? Anyways, uh, for the interview portion, I got to interview a former CEO of mine and uh, somebody who is now with Amazon as the senior operations multi-site delivery station leader uh, up in the New York City area. Um, we were in Siganella when the embassy was evacuated in Libya. Uh, if you guys haven't seen 13 Hours, it's a fantastic movie that... Uh, kind of goes over that uh, situation in Libya. While it is only a movie and might not be the most accurate, it was really cool hearing them talk about Siganella in the movie. And then uh, towards the end, I'm going to be going over a career option, as always. So here we go. So the happy hormones. No, I did not check out of an insane asylum. I didn't come from a hospital. I definitely didn't just get uh, happy hormones from counseling. Those three all feel like valid assumptions. I, I feel like I just did uh, whenever I say the words happy hormones. But listen to this book called Conversational Intelligence, and it talks about uh, the science behind conversations. It's a really interesting book, uh, and I and absolutely, absolutely recommend that anybody listening to this uh, podcast checks it out. Anyways, it's going over these hormones that make you happy during different parts of a conversation and how you can get more of them. And... I'm a naturally curious person, so I had to look it up. I had to look up what all hormones make you happy and how how to get them. Because who would want to be a happier person? Um, sure, there's a natural mourning process and and the process of healing and recovering. But you know, if if you're down or in a rut or you can't figure out what's going on, nothing feels right, and you just don't know why, you should be able to hack these hormones and get them going in your body. So that being said, they're dopamine, serotonin. Ox oxytocin and endorphins dopamine is a reward chemical you get it for completing a task doing self-care activities i think that that one right there is huge because military and veterans were so focused on the mission or the job in front of us that we forget to take care of ourselves um the mission can't get done if we're not good so self-care activities i think is a huge one just because um if nobody else is taking care of you it's your responsibility. You got to take care of yourself first before you can get the mission. Uh, eating food. I'm a foodie. I love this one. But uh, food doesn't love me back, so I got to be careful with it. Celebrating little wins. That uh, feeling you get when you are right. That's a dangerous one because you get a dopamine hit every time you prove, you know, you, you prove that you're right. And if you get, you enjoy the dopamine hits from this, you can uh, pursue this a lot. And the person who's always trying to prove themselves right is often not the person that people want to surround themselves with. So sometimes it's okay to be wrong. Anyways, um, you can get dopamine hits from all of these. So I think the self-care is a big one right there. Um, moving on to the next one, serotonin, the mood stabilizer. You get this from meditating, running, sun exposure, walking nature, swimming, cycling. For all my peeps out there on nights... This one's big because you don't get uh, happy 
hormones or the uh, serotonin from the sun when you uh, work nights. You don't get it from the lights that illuminate the darkness. Um, and sometimes nights can make people down and depressed. So if you find yourself on nights and you're upset, try, you know, for a week or for two weeks or whatever. Try, you know, going out for a drive, you know, walking in nature when the sun's out or meditating. Um, get, but get that sun exposure because that's going to help you feel better. Oxytocin is the next one, the love hormone. You get this from playing with a dog, with the baby, holding your holding somebody's hand, hugging your family, give a compliment. The book Conversational Intelligence kind of rec, uh, refers to oxytocin as the hormone you get when you hug your grandma. Love hugging my grandmas. I get uh, a lot of oxytocin, but um, you know, hugging your family when and it may not be blood relatives, but the people you uh, that become your family over time. Um, give a compliment. You know, I don't think we do that enough. I also could be in the wrong setting or environment to see that, but you know, I should probably change that around uh, my environment. Pets are awesome. So I don't think this just refers to playing with the dog. Uh, I personally probably wouldn't get it from a cat cause I'm not a cat person, but that's that. Um, but yeah, no playing with the dog, playing with the baby, holding somebody's hand, hugging your family, giving a compliment, oxytocin, the love hormone. The next one, the last one is the endorphin, the painkiller. You get this from laughter exercise. Don't think I've seen those two words together. That's weird. Anyways, laughter exercise, essential oils. Here go the uh, essential oil salespeople. Um, watching a comedy, dark chocolate, and exercising. I didn't actually know that. Dark chocolate gives you endorphins. Dark chocolate, as long as it's above like 70 or 75%, also boosts your metabolism and helps burn fat. So dark chocolate right there. Um, that's pretty cool. Watching a comedy. Who doesn't love a good comedy skit? I mean, even when they're bad, you can kind of laugh at them. I mean, you're still laughing, but yeah, still. Um, so yeah, these are all ways you get happy uh, hormones. Dopamine, the reward chemical oxytocin the love hormone serotonin the mood stabilizer and endorphin the painkiller which a lot of it looks like exercise laugh and freaking eat some chocolate some dark chocolate um and see there you go i mean it kind of works out that way you get the endorphin from eating dark chocolate and then you're eating food so you probably also get a dopamine hit you get two for one right there that's perfect um <laughs> So yeah, there you have it. Uh, I'll probably go over next episode, negative hormones, uh, just to give you guys an idea of what to watch out for, because it's, it's important to know what to look for and how to get these happy hormones, but it's also important to look for negative hormones too. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that bit of it. Um, and hopefully you guys are able to use the happy hormones to make your life a much happier spot. In this next uh, bit, I'm going to be interviewing chris dennis and uh he goes over his insight of transitioning as a captain in the navy to the civilian life and what life is like for those who either have more rank more experience i mean he has both of those but um the mindset that leadership in the military leaves to transition into veteran lifestyle so there we go
Hey guys, what's up? I've got uh, Chris Dennis here. He is a former CEO of mine. Uh, we were in Naval Air Station Sicanella together. Um, and then we are, he is now a senior operations multi-site delivery station leader with Amazon. So we're going to go over a little bit about his story, um, his military experience, and uh, how the transition from being um, a captain in the Navy to working at Amazon went. So Go ahead. Hey, Ian, thank you very much for, uh, first of all, for this whole uh, project, Petcast project. Uh, I love it. Uh, I love what you're doing uh, and the reasons behind it. And it's a pleasure to see you again. And yes, sir. And I'm happy to uh, participate. And uh, thanks for the honor of the opportunity to be part of this. Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm excited to talk with folks. Um, so, I retired in uh, 2018, 29 years active duty, commissioned out of college, uh, Auburn University, uh, War Eagle. And uh, <laughs> not the best year for Auburn football, but basketball is tearing it up right now. There you go. And, uh, but I, I graduated, uh, I graduated, yeah, I graduated from the Navy uh, in 2018. <laughs> um, great, I loved everything I did. Um, Came in as an, an aviation, uh, multiple aviation tours. I always took opportunities, though, to get out of the cockpit because I enjoyed a lot of the rest of the Navy, too. I uh, had really a uh, wide array of experiences, was able to be part of the Pentagon at an early age uh, in the communications world, big in satellite communications. Um, did uh, an aid tour, uh, which was a humbling tour you know you learn uh you learn how to be more humble than you thought you could be at least that was my experience i think others may have slightly different version of it but it, i think it's all pretty fair uh and it you know makes you a better person for sure um i went to the war college as a student um i got to go to belgium and uh or mid-career as a u.s representative uh at nato headquarters which was an awesome experience again in communications loved it uh loved the experience of representing our country at a diplomatic level it was a great experience oh, wow. uh, and uh personal uh, personally a lot of fun for our family uh our youngest was born there which was awesome oh wow yep and then uh, later in my career had squadron command uh, then I was the navigator of the USS uh, Carl Vinson, great ship. Uh, we were the, the first unit uh, to respond to the Haitian earthquake in 2010, which was oh, wow. a really uh, wonderful experience to be part of that. Uh, made lifelong friends uh, as part of that ship. Um, then uh, went back and taught at the War College, which was great. Became the CEO of Naval Air Station Sigonella, highlight of my life uh, professionally. And then uh, my final gig was as the CEO of uh, University of Michigan Naval ROTC at Ann Arbor. Also great um, experience and really a full circle experience for me to be able to leave the Navy the same way I came in, um, just on the other end. So really appreciated it. Uh, there was nothing else, honestly, I could say I wanted to do in the Navy, which yeah. is why I knew it was time to move on. So um, I was very, very satisfied uh, and pleased to leave. Um, it was just the right time. The leaving itself uh, was pretty, pretty positive in the sense that it had a nice, you know, ceremony, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, we took a couple of months off, went back to my hometown, which I hadn't lived in in you know 30 years, uh, 30 plus years, and yeah. uh, enjoyed that. Um, and then I was hired by Amazon. Um, actually, was hired two different ways: one by Amazon and one by a city in the Seattle area as the city manager. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, pretty different, uh, comparable pay compensations. Um, Amazon was a little bit less, uh, but I ended up going with it because I felt like for my professional goals, it was a better fit. It gave me what I thought uh, at the time and still believe to be a better opportunity to grow um, post-Navy into things. Um, and uh, I don't regret that decision. Um, Good. It was, But that said, uh, Amazon is... Um, is a challenging experience, right? So like go, uh, for me, I think um, probably for most veterans, but certainly I think for veterans that have been in for a, a full career, um, that kind of transition is pretty radical. It's a tech company. Um, I tell my colleagues at Amazon that um, I worked with PowerPoint and Excel and Word when they were just called PowerPoint, Excel, and Word, uh, that they were the first version before we called them versions. So yeah. that's my starting point with technology. Um, certainly familiar, comfortable, but I would not call myself uh, immersed like you know my younger colleagues are. They grow up with you know cell phones in their hands at an early age and all the other pieces that come along with that. So you know, walking into a tech company. Without that background, and I had no MBA, uh, I was basically got hired on my my potential. Mm -hmm. um, was a was a challenge, you know. I definitely came uh, with some big opportunities that I had to bridge uh, in joining a very high paced tech company, production uh, oriented company. Um, you know, then some other things that I just fully did not appreciate um, when I was at Signal. <laughs> For instance, my next to last tour, you know, very public uh, role um, and in a very big community that mm -hmm. I was, you know, intimately a part of, uh, always felt connected. Um, at the University of Michigan, was a, definitely a step different in the sense that it was a pretty small community. Most of the folks that were Navy had retired there as Navy. Mm -hmm. There were a few folks that, you know, maybe were in the area and not necessarily hadn't gone through the university program, but they're sort of close. And so they were kind of assimilated, but it was much smaller, right? So where you have a lot of friends and acquaintances in a, in a place like Signella or just a typical operational experience, you know, you may have dozens of people, you know, that you're, you're seeing regularly socially. At Michigan, it was more like maybe a dozen people that you didn't see that regularly in a social setting. Um, now, when I transitioned uh, into the corporate world, and again, I didn't go the government service route where I would have been in more familiar area and you know probably around people I had known or new people I knew. So I moved to the New York City metropolitan area. Uh, I'm not from this area. Um, I moved here because of the opportunities offered. This was the best one for our family. My oldest two children, one lived in the other one in Boston. So it was good to be closer to them, mm -hmm. uh, but I, we didn't know anybody. 
And so that was a pretty radical life change. Uh, another, right? So one, yeah. the, the style of the work, very different, technology driven, production driven. I'll talk the production piece in a second. Then the, the, the kind of the circumstances of where we lived were very different new area. I mean, I've lived in a lot of places. I can adapt pretty well. That wasn't a problem from a cultural point of view, but like not knowing people um, was definitely a different experience for my wife and I. Um, and we didn't have younger children that would immediately like, you know, go to school that you might start meeting parents or things like that. So we were isolated. And then uh, I think about people who are isolated and maybe not um, in a, in a, couple, you know, in a, in a relationship that, that would be even that much more profound yeah. potentially to feel that sense of isolation. And unlike the Navy where you tend to socialize with your, your work friends, um, that's not necessarily the culture I'm in now. Uh, maybe if for my colleagues that are younger, it, that they might have that, uh, more, but I mean, I'm just quite candidly, probably old enough to be the parent of many of my colleagues. Um, and that just is what it is. And so yeah. it's not that I don't like them personally, or they don't like me personally. It's just we're in a different place of life. And yeah. so you just, it's just not part of, part of it, you know, like it was in the Navy. So uh, a lot of different things in there, which I think made the whole transition experience stressful. Um, the, level of stress associated in the work I do because it's very, it's production work and, okay. you know, there's high standards, uh, quality, high standards, uh, for efficiency, um, you, you know, safety, uh, et cetera. So, you know, you, I tell managers now, you know, our goal is to have a, a, a sustained safe operation where we earn the commitment of our employees. Um, we deliver very high quality for our customers and we do it at a good cost. And that's what separates, you know, uh, great operations from okay operations. And the good cost piece is, <clears throat> a, it adds a significant level of pressure that uh, if you weren't cost focused, you wouldn't feel. So um, that's a, it was a big transition to kind of go to that environment where you're making decisions in the moment where the downstream effect an hour, two hours, five hours later could be that you miss uh, your production goals notably. And yeah. that's not a pleasant you know, experience to be because then you're, you know, you're trying to explain why you missed them and how you're not going to make those mistakes anymore. And there's a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, companies like Amazon don't get as good as they are by approaching these problems in a half, uh, half, asked kind of way. Yeah. We put every bit of effort into delivering. So there was a lot of stress, I'd say emotional stress by being, you know, isolated, um, in a, in an unfamiliar work environment, doing work that was familiar to a point, but still pretty unfamiliar. Like the interpersonal piece was fine. I felt very confident in that. Um, our associates and uh, the many, you know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines that I uh, worked with for so many years, I, I didn't feel like a, a, a problem there at all. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, refreshing in a way because, you know, now uh, we all have a lot of differences in the military, but uh, many of them are kind of masked because we all look similar to each other. 
yeah. uniforms, you know. Um, but in a in a non-military environment, you know, there's just notable, superficial, but notable mm-hmm. differences between each of us. And it has a kind of a different feel. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a good growing experience for, I think, for everybody to, you know, who at least comes from the military to see that this is what real diversity looks like. And, um, and it's cool, right? And there's a lot, of, a lot of awesomeness that's involved in that. But it's a different kind because there's no artificiality. We all have to wear this, um, you know, this uniform. We have to wear hair this way, you know. We have to yeah. use certain language and words. And it just, that stuff doesn't, it's not the same. It's much more uh, liberated. Um, other pieces that were positive for me uh, in assimilating that helped me get through it were... I'd like to say for myself that I never particularly was hung up on my rank and I mm-hmm. tried to approach people at a very personal level in a collaborative way. And I knew that it was way bigger than me and I needed everybody who understood what the heck they were doing to be part of the conversation so we could do the best we could. And I felt like that served me well in my transition. Um, I know that some colleagues of mine have come into this kind of business and struggled because you know, unlike the military, where often age kind of confers uh, authority and status, it, it, it's not a guarantee, but there's a, a, a very steady association. The older a person is, they're probably more senior and they mm-hmm. probably have more responsibility. And that, you know, that's that way for a reason, because that's kind of the way it works. Um, but in the corporate world, not the case at all. Um, I work my first boss. Um, was a Naval Academy graduate from 2010. That was the year I was selected for captain. And uh, he was my boss and he was actually <laughs> a really great boss and knew what the hell he was doing. And I learned a lot from him. Uh, but if I had been uh, really sensitive about age, I think it would have been a problem for me. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And, or if I had been really like sensitive about people not, you know, calling me anything other than, my name, right? Which yeah. is not, for me, I had my list of no's. I used to joke when I was on active duty that no's or no hats, no, no, co- you know, no covers, no titles, uh, no shaving, all the things I couldn't wait to execute on because mm-hmm. I had, you know, plenty of years of doing it the other way and I was ready to do it differently. It was good for me to have that perspective. It helped me not get uh, be overly sensitive when people were like, Hey, Chris, or hey, you know, in, the new, in this new uh, York area, a lot of people use the last name. So, hey, Dennis, uh, blah, 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 blah. Like, gotcha. none of that stuff bothered me. It was uh, fine. But I do know that I've had colleagues that uh, maybe don't take that transition as easily. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just say to all the folks that are thinking about leaving, these are things that's probably worth kind of chewing on now because it's just different. And uh, it's not going to change for us. We have to adapt to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think I've ever thought of it quite like that of creating a list of, of what to expect when you transition out and even how far out to either stare at that list or mentally prepare for that. Um, yeah. It's actually quite a good idea. <laughs> well, I, I can't say that it was I, for me, it was just a, a kind of a funny thing that I, I, I look forward to. Like you see, I, I still really don't shave <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I if I wear a hat, it, you know, like you, maybe it says Auburn or, you know, I like the Red Sox. Uh, sorry to all the fans. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The uh, Yankee fans out there. But anyway, 
something like that. It's a hat I want to wear. Nobody's telling me I have to wear it. And they're not telling me where to wear it on my head. I can wear it backwards. I can wear it like a rally cap. Nobody, it doesn't matter. And I really Freedom. look forward to that. And I look forward to people calling me by my name. Um, and, you know, I, just whatever, like that, that part of life I've, I've, I've continued to enjoy. Um, but there's a lot more that I didn't really appreciate that I would offer to the vets that I would hope they would start thinking about now, this idea of being comfortable with your boss being younger than you or any way different than you, right? Like mm -hmm. and being comfortable with the fact that um, that when you take uniforms away, that we really, at least, you know, in appearance are very, very different people. Uh, and then when we go beyond appearance, we continue to be different people. And that's okay. And um, and a lot of the people that you're going to meet outside the military have no military understanding or experience. I think they'll Absolutely. you'll still get a fair amount of people thanking you for your service, which you know each of us has to kind of deal with that in our own way. Um, because you know I don't I've never you know I always tell people it was my pleasure because that's how I felt about it. Um, I know some folks are very uncomfortable with people thanking them. Like it's just stuff we do because we. I think we get joy out of being in the military, even though it's hard, mm -hmm. um, but you're going to get that right. But that may be the extent of that person's understanding of the military. They may have no more understanding of it than that. Um, and you might may work with people like I've had this experience where I'll say, oh, yeah, I was in the Navy. And they'll be like, which Navy? And realize, <laughs> oh, I'm working for an international company. You know, um, yeah, there's a lot of people from a lot of militaries from all over the world. I uh, should be more precise and not so uh, some, you know, not so, uh, I guess, arrogant to think that there's just one Navy, even though we all know there's one best Navy. <laughs> point. Um, so those kinds of things, I, I think, are worth contemplating now uh, so that you you could just be ahead of it. Uh, definitely not being hung up on your your rank, prestige, things like that, because frankly, nobody cares. Uh, they may they may they may care on some superficial level, but the reality is whatever you're doing that people are paying you money for, that's what they care about. You better yeah. do well. And that's where you need to focus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you say when you went through transition uh, GPS or TGPS, would you say uh, what you went through prepared you to separate or was it a, was it a rougher transition than you thought it would be? I, I, it's a yes and no. I think, um, I think the program I had was certainly, it was, conceived well, executed well. I, I still keep up with one of my instructors, uh, you know, three, four years later, actually four plus years later, because I went through a year out. Um, but there's also limitations to what it really can do. Um, you know, helping you refine what it is you want to do, you you got to do that. And I think that the, the, the course can kind of give you some pointers on where to look. Um, but you got to figure that out for yourself. And I remember, you know, the thing that, that one of the things the course did well was it said, do these informational interviews. Mm. So I did. I went into my Rolodex, you know, my now LinkedIn and basically asked people I knew if I could learn about what they did. And, you know, they would connect me to people, you know, better placed. And uh, I had a lot of conversations and, you know, the Navy in some ways or the military in general, the U.S. military in general, I think in some ways does a disservice to us because we 
are so used to taking on roles that we're not qualified for on paper, <clears throat> doing them well, and then being rewarded for it, that we think that's just part of the deal. And mm -hmm. that we assume that everybody appreciates that, right? Like this person could do anything. They're great. They've, they've done it all. They've done crazy number of things. The reality is, is that going into the corporate world, their perspective is, it took me a while to figure this out. I had to figure this out on my own. And if I could offer TGPS some perspective to share with people, it'd be this. I was having a hard time getting traction uh, for jobs and mm -hmm. I didn't really understand why. And what it finally came down to is, I, and I kind of deduced this on my own, they're looking like whatever they're hiring for, that's what they're looking for. So if they're looking for a production manager, they want a production manager. If they want to pay that production manager a lot of money, they want a production manager that's really good at being a production manager, which means they've got a lot of experience being a production manager. Right. Yeah. So, you know, hey, Chris Dennis comes along. I've done production like things. You know, I've, I've run a squadron. I've done this. I've done that. Um, I can talk metrics to some extent, not nearly like you would talk about it in the corporate world, but okay, some familiarity. I can show some experience, you know, in some level, but. I'm competing against a person who's done it for 15 years straight in multiple different companies. And they have like big time data to demonstrate their ability to master this area. So from a hiring manager's point of view, they're looking at me where they're like, wow, this guy's got a lot of really interesting things. Most of those, I don't know that I really care about. They're neat. There's nothing wrong with them, but I'm not hiring for a person who taught ethics at the University of Michigan. I'm hiring a person to run production. And um, so you run up against that, essentially from a risk point of view, a hiring manager is looking and they're doing a risk analysis of, I'm going to spend a lot of money and time training this person. They don't want to train you. They want you to come in and do it. So they may uh, have an assumption they'll lose a little time early on, but they're going to get it back very quickly. And then they're going to get it back in the form of you being uh, cost effective for the company, right? In the long yeah. run. So that's the person they're going after. And you or me or a person in our shoes, it's not so clear. Like yeah. going for a role where we have familiarity, we have potential. They're not. They don't. They're not necessarily hiring for potential. They're hiring to to, to improve their bottom line, and they don't want to risk a lot doing it. So TGPS did not teach me that. I had to figure that out. And honestly, that I finally reasoned that out about six months after I was hired, and, it, and it, I, I deduced this. And um, it helped me really kind of get my mind around this a lot better. So I feel much more informed going forward in my career. Yeah, um, I would. That's something I wish we really would spend time with, especially people who have been in the military, you know, 10 years more. Um, and they're trying to branch out or riff on something they've done some, but not a lot of, because that's what they're going to run up against is that kind of uh, dynamic. And and it makes perfect sense once you have it explained, but you don't necessarily intuit it on the front end because we're used to thinking I can do anything, right? And the system knows I can do anything. They keep letting me do these different things and I keep kicking the crap out of them and, uh, and then get new different things to do. And that's just not the way it works. So you mentioned a lot about how you had to change your mindset when you got out. What skills or things that you learned from the military helped you? Yeah. As a civilian or as a veteran? Well, um, I really do. You know, I, I share this uh, when I meet new hires in Amazon. Um, one of the reasons I stayed in the Navy 
is uh, it was a few things like I and I would even ask people in the Navy, like, you know, why'd you join? Why'd you join? Why'd you join? I ask everybody when uh, I was a CEO at SIG, why'd you join? I've probably asked that question 15,000 times. And, um, you know, people have their own personal answers, which I think is wonderful. And I always like to hear them. But the reason people stay in the military is rarely the same reason they join. Right. So for me personally, why'd I join? Well, it was exciting. I wanted an adventure. I wanted to go and do things. Um, You know, uh, in my freshman year of high school, college, rather, Top Gun came out. So I immediately knew not only do I want to join the Navy, I want to be a naval aviator, which I already knew I wanted. Top Gun reaffirmed it. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of reasons I joined. Um, But that's not why you stay 29 years. You, you know, that 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 stuff um, is is great, but it gets boring pretty quickly. Honestly, like you got to have more, you know, uh, for yeah. me, maybe others and maybe not. That that was perfect for them. And there's no judgment in that. Just for me personally, I needed more. I realized that earlier. I was a little bit lost probably for, you know, middle of my years as a lieutenant trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do. And then it then it finally like crystallized for me. The thing I loved was. I loved the challenge of taking on new projects and I loved um, building winning teams and I loved uh, helping people grow and achieve their potential. And then, uh, you know, an emotional level, I really love that. And I still believe this, the U.S. military is probably the most fair, equal place in our country in terms of how we treat people of all backgrounds. And uh, I, I, you know, as an American, I genuinely appreciate that. That's the way Absolutely. it should be. That's, I think, what our American dream embodies. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. Um, to get to your question, all those things I see at play in my current role, in my current employer, we value people for all their backgrounds. Uh, we, we raise them up, you know, no matter how and where we come from. Uh, I see opportunities for everybody, right? So I used to really love in the Navy how, you know, you just had to try, you know, work hard, be honest, right? And be open to growth. That was really what we needed from people. And if you were willing to do those and commit to them, um, the Navy was going to give you every opportunity to grow as a person. And you could come in um, one background, you know, maybe socioeconomic background, and then you could leave in a completely different place. Like maybe as a person, you know, I did or didn't, not me personally, but I didn't have the opportunity to go to uh, college, but now um, I have, and I'm in a better, you know, I'm in a healthier financial place. And my gotcha. kids will never worry about that, right? Yeah. Like I've seen that happen so many times, I couldn't even begin to count it. I like that about the Navy and I liked being part of it. And I see that with my current employer too, which I think is really wonderful. Like I like that. So those pieces for me were rock solid. And I felt like I'm in a good place because I can, I can operate here and I can operate here. Well, like, and for me as a, you know, I, I joke with people that are my colleagues, like on the chicken spectrum, I am a, late summer chicken as opposed to a spring chicken, right? But uh, most of my colleagues are. So as a late summer chicken, I'm pretty comfortable understanding the, the tr- tremendous amount of impact we can make on people's lives by partnering with them. That part for me was great. The hard part was learning the actual 
business, like, and getting into the laptop, like they hand you a laptop and they're like, here's everything you need. And I would show up, you know, my whole life, I'd go to a, a command and you'd get instructions and, you know, NATOPS procedures and all these kinds of, you know, SOPs that everything in Amazon. And I imagine for a lot of companies is all online. And it was wiki links that led to more links. And it honestly made me want to like, made my eyes want to roll back in my head. It was not my kind of learning. I had to adapt to that. You know, yeah. this is the way it is. Nobody's giving me a NATOPS for Amazon. You find it on your computer. Um, and the, you know, there's no FRS fleet replacement squadron where they teach you how to be a pilot, like go to work, like you're on the clock We're we're earning money and we need you to be part of that. And that was, uh, that was a, pretty radical change and it was disorienting. And I very specifically remember early on feeling uh, very disoriented and also just a little bit like useless, like, wow, I, I, I don't know what I'm contributing to this. I feel so not valuable because it was so different, radically different than what I was used to. It was a really big change and I had to persevere through it. Would you say transitioning from the military, getting out, and you talked about how difficult it was when you first moved to uh, the New York City metro area. Would you say PCSing in the military prepared you for the move to a new place where you weren't familiar? Or would you say it was pretty radical difference? So yes, it did. Like we're good at moving. Like my wife and I have moved a lot. Like that part <laughs> we were pretty good at and yeah. uh, wasn't really a challenge. She's a wizard, like finding places and, and you know, she does not relent in terms of moving in and setting up the house very quickly in a nice way. So that part, not a problem. Gotcha. Um, the problem piece was, um, just like the rest of it, like, okay, now we're physically here. We have a house, yeah. so we've, like kids in school. Great. Now what? Like now the hard part work really starts. So you got to try to build a life in a place that you don't know anybody. And it's different, you know, and we're in a, like I said, major metropolitan area. People are coming and going, doing their own thing. They have their own friends and colleagues and whatever. And, you know, frankly, it's just a different culture in this area than it would be say in maybe the middle of America or the American South or whatever. Yep. And you know, it where, so you're just, it's, it was for me very difficult to meet people. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that's still the case. So I think the, the takeaway for us uh, over time has evolved to be that, you know, you really have to, and people tell you this and you don't fully appreciate it until you, you are forced to force to reconcile with it, but you really need to, take into account your whole life and think about what's important to you. And if having relations, you know, like family, friends, things like that is important, you got to prioritize that. And if that means it comes at the expense of, you know, the compensation you hope for, if that's that important to you, then do it mm -hmm. and uh, don't regret it and don't feel bad about it. Um, but you, you know, everything's a compromise in sorts. And so you don't seem, you, you know, it's very rare. I imagine to get it all. And that's where I think we've kind of come to recognize that we probably devalued that and we shouldn't have. And now that, you know, we're reassessing, we're like, well, you know, we're going to put a lot more emphasis on this piece of 
of having, um, you know, a connected life with people physically. Like COVID hasn't helped anybody. Don't get me wrong, but it certainly exacerbated a tough situation. Yep. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you see a future for yourself at Amazon? Yeah. I, uh, I'm quite proud of my, my, um, success so far with the company. Uh, it's not easy. It is absolutely not easy. I know tons of people who've come in on the program I came in on and it wasn't for them. And there's no shame in that. It's just, it's hard. And it, I think for me, it was a healthier place in our, in my life because my children are growing up and I can be more flexible. Um, and I've been successful. Uh, I've been able, you know, I came in and essentially taken on new roles every six, nine months. And, uh, you know, uh, all of the measures that I can ascertain to say I'm doing well are giving me that feedback. Um, I, people want me on their team. Um, my compensation's strong. Um, you know, I, uh, think I've earned the respect of my, my colleagues, my subordinates, my superiors, et cetera. So I feel positive about yeah. my, uh, my choice. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm doing well. Good. Um, this may be a silly question and it's one I kind of thought of. Now you said you got in as a pilot. Did you ever think about becoming a pilot after you separate or after you retired? Oh, I knew early on that was not something I was terribly interested in. Uh, <laughs> I, I like flying. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I also have a very healthy respect for flying. And mm. there's two reasons why I didn't want to fly after I left the Navy. First one was I loved operationally flying. I love flying off ships. Mm. Um, and the last time I checked, there are no airlines that are taking off and landing on ships. So um, that was like, to me, it just did not have the appeal of, Hey, I'm going to fly to Omaha today or wherever, like no, 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 no shade on Omaha. Just the first name that came to my mind, but like going back and forth between two cities every day just doesn't appeal to me. It sounds like for me personally it would be very boring. And I don't think <laughs> I would like that. So I, I didn't ever give that serious thought. Uh, I don't fly privately outside because I have too much respect for how dangerous aviation can be. And yep. unless I'm willing to commit the time uh, to being exceptional pilot, uh, I'm not willing to commit any time to being a pilot. So it's a good memory. I love it. Um, you know, I think like most pilots, I'll sit on a commercial flight knowing in the back of my mind, if I had to, I could probably save the day. But uh, other than that, I'm just happy to be a passenger. I think that's a, a healthy perspective to have just because I have talked to veterans that <clears throat> when they get out, they're like, oh, well, I've got experience in this. But you mentioned if you don't have the time to be exceptional at what you're doing after you get out, then why do it? Yeah, not, it's just for me, especially aviation. No, like, I'm, of course, like I could, uh, there's things I'm not exceptional at, but I don't mind doing like, um, but that's not one of them. Like that's, there's too much risk involved. Of course. Would, wouldn't short. But just trying to, you know, get, get the attitude of when you get out, just, you know, kind of finding a job compared to getting out and then, okay, trying to find a meaningful job or where you can yeah. excel at or where you find challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, like I thought very hard about the city manager job um, and it, uh, had success and went and it was a two day interview process, included a city meeting with like people of the town. And I honestly, I killed it. I just nailed it. It was great. 
and uh, they loved me. And I really liked the town and the people I interacted with. But, you know, I had to look myself in the mirror and say, is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life is is go? And I also I think I give myself credit for asking this question was, is it going to be is it going to how's it going to compare to my time as the base commander at Siganella, which and I knew in my heart it wasn't going to be the same. Like, there's just not going to be the same. And, and uh, it, you know, the, the, the circumstances are different and. And that those circumstances make a big difference. And I don't need to detail them all here, but I knew in my mind it just wasn't going to be as fulfilling. And so I let it go. Um, I, on the other hand, I knew the Amazon experience was going to make me better, more well-rounded, open up opportunities. Um, and I didn't know exactly how. I just kind of had a gut feel that it would, and it has. Um, and uh, so I don't regret that decision. So you talk uh, finally about Siganella. Um, what was your favorite memory there? Wow. That's <laughs> I, there's yeah. so many. Like, honestly, I'm so proud of the work that we did as a, a, a team of Americans and Italians uh, mm -hmm. dealing with that. Like, so many things. Uh, I don't know that I could say any one thing. I'm very proud of the effort we did to correct the water in that town. Um, mm. Our water, you probably remember, was uh, you know on the cover of Navy Times for being bad. And uh, when 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 I got there, and we we went from worst to first, like we became the the epitome of what good water management was supposed to be. I'm very proud of that for our team. Um, we I was super proud of our efforts when we evacuated the embassy from Libya in the summer of 2014. Mm -hmm. Critical role that the base played in that holistically. Uh, we earned our way into that position for good planning and then mm -hmm. we executed it like just awesome uh, team that we were. I'm really pleased with that. Um, I love all of the connection we had as a community. I, I think Maybe the thing I'm most proud of is that I had this vision of citizenship mm -hmm. and that people were open to it and we all worked on that together. And I thought that the, the community as a whole was very tight um, and uh, self-supporting and like just just did all we, we we emphasized, I think, good human values and good governance and uh, and then demonstrated we could really do it. And it's a nice, refreshing contrast to what we see going on today, I think, in modern politics. So I think maybe that's the one thing I'm maybe the most proud of because it allowed all the other things to happen. Gotcha. Um, is there anything we haven't covered or any uh, any lessons, any advice that you would give either people at your level retiring or uh, junior? Yeah, I, I, I'd say all people uh, reach out to people ahead of time. Um, take to heart the things that you're reading. Like I remember reading and reading and reading things like, you know, uh, hey, stay connected, or um, you know, you're it's it's harder than you think, and you're not as a you're not as great as you think you are. And I, I and I think all of us on some level tend to think, yeah, that's everybody else. That's not me. Um, no, it's it's you too. Like, I think that you know, take those things to heart and reach out and 
talk to people and really listen and internalize the feedback they're giving you about the challenges they had and have some humility to think, you know what, this actually probably could apply to me too. And I need to take it seriously. Um, don't take for granted being connected to people. Like, uh, thankfully my wife and I are in good place and we are, you know, we see our kids regularly. That's all we've had for three and a half years, really, you know, COVID certainly, you know, compounded that. But um, Absolutely. if I had to go back and do it over again, I would put way more emphasis on uh, having connections with people. And that part, you know, I think, I think, and I'm, my hunch is that uh, veterans quickly can become lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my experience, honestly, we became isolated very quickly. Um, and that takes away a huge safety net for all of us. And so we got to, we got to take that seriously. That'd be my biggest takeaway. I did think of one more question. Yeah. Um, have you as a veteran, are there, is there anything that happened while you were in the military that still affects you today? Uh, it's maybe like a experience that you didn't realize would um, come back. Oh goodness. I mean, I think, it was all quite formula, you know, formative. I, I feel like I'm a product of my, you know, 29 plus years of service and, and almost all good. Like I don't, um, I mean, we didn't talk about this, but okay. I think I would have, if I had to do it over again, the VA piece, I would have done better ahead mm. of time. Um, and this is a gotcha that happens to pilots and probably special forces and other people who are worried about their operational readiness, their personal readiness. We tend to minimize ailments mm-hmm. and, um, you'll wish later when you're out of the Navy or the army Marine Corps, air force, space force, uh, that, um, you had told your doctors, Hey, I have this problem. And it got entered into your record. Um, do that. Don't, don't, don't cheat yourself later by keeping stuff to yourself now and then really get ahead of the VA process as, as early as you can. That would, I think a lot of people, uh, the VA is not an easy process. Um, and you know, honestly, my experience in the military is, is the, the, the whole out processing, processing effort is just to check blocks. Like, did you go to TGPS? Great. Um, did you go to this, you know, place and do this thing? Yes, you did. Great. The, what we should be looking at is, are you a veteran? Did you get a fair review of your medical records with the VA in this timeline? Mm-hmm. If not, why and how do we hold the services accountable for that because like um i just didn't pay enough i didn't pay a lot of attention to it and then i came into it uh, honestly sort of taking it more seriously right about the time i retired um thankfully i was able to make up for ground and then i have a friend who's an attorney who helped me with pro bono stuff and i that's but not everybody has that and I freely admit it. That's a that's a gift that I have that I you know I, I wish everybody had, but they don't. Um, get ahead of that 
in terms of the VA piece uh, because the system is still, honestly, it's not set up the way, it, in my opinion, it should be to protect service members with uh, the benefits that they've rightly earned. Um, it It's too hard and it's not going to get easier. You have to advocate for yourself. Absolutely. No, that's, that's fair. Um, I've uh, interviewed uh, another veteran who is, you know, he was uh, able to use, uh, he's able to use nonprofits or different programs that are helping him with his claim. And do that. Yeah. Don't be shy. Yep. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming for the interview. Um, I think that veterans at any level will be able to get a lot of insight from this. Uh, hopefully a lot of senior veterans will be able to look at this and kind of see it, you know, at their level and say, okay, this is what I need to get ahead of and kind of get ready for. So my pleasure. thank you. Thank you. I, I'm excited that you're taking this on as an effort. And uh, I think a lot of people are better off for it. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure reconnecting to Yes, sir. All right. Have a good one. Hold on. One. Special thanks to Chris for that interview. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, Amazon's keeping you on your toes. So thank you for giving me about an hour to talk to you about uh, transitioning, especially at that level, because not a lot of people make it up to the to the. 06 level or the CO level even and uh and then transition into a different job so it's cool to see how your um how your your mentality goes from being a CO of a installation or a teacher at a college to becoming a civilian again so appreciate you taking the time out I hope you guys are doing better in uh the New Jersey New York City area and yeah so thank you um for the job portion of this episode i'm going to be going over uh an issue we have now in the states and we might need more of them um but there's a supply chain shortage and i think those you know ls's or supply people the suppos um the field of logistics you know there's nothing like the military and that's correct that is absolutely right getting this off of recruitmilitary.com those with experience and knowledge about the logistics field will make a great supply chain manager even if it's just a starting job you work your way up but my suppos, my LSs, my supply people, um, a supply chain manager or a logistician, you would need a bachelor's degree for, um, but number of jobs in 2020 is 191,000. And the job outlook from 2020 to 2030 is 30%, which is much faster than average. And this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, so get a supply job. Um, we need more people. So that is it for the 11th episode, guys. If uh, you ever need to talk, you have any questions at all please uh please feel free to email me at ian at projectvetcast.com i'm happy to listen bounce ideas back and forth or help you figure things out i'm a veteran and if you're a veteran too i'm your brother <laughs>